this new series, which is really a continuation of our Easter celebration. We're going to be talking about this new creation that has begun. The Apostle Paul is convinced that something in human history has changed, an epic-changing moment has been evidenced in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as I was talking about this to the Lord, it appeared to me that he wanted Ron Swanson to make an introduction to the matter today. Ron Swanson is a wise and mustachioed fellow who has a great disdain for all things non-manly and non-American, and he hates the government. So a lot of you will like him. He finds himself on a public access television show where people are calling in. This is a show called Parks and Recreation, and he's taking calls. He's having to fill in. He's not exactly the kind of guy with the the nuanced perspective and the finesse that you want in advice giving, but someone asks a question about their dog. Their dog is causing trouble. I can't even remember the context exactly, scratching the coffee table or something like this, and they have a little terrier dog. So Ron Swanson, as he listens to the ailment that's been presented, provides his diagnostic expertise to the situation And he says, first of all, you need to ditch the terrier. Then, you need to get yourself a proper dog. Anything under 50 pounds is a cat. And cats are pointless. So just to to take it in like a warm shower to ease the tension from your aching So he wants you to ditch the terrier, get yourself a proper dog, and anything under 50 pounds is not a dog, it's a cat. And cats, of course, are useless. Now, I'm not saying that God agrees with that assessment, but he does. (laughs) And if you like cats or small dogs, I'm just playing around. So please don't write me about that. I'm just telling a joke. I didn't even make it up. Ron Swanson told it to us. But it does give us a nice little segue into a way of thinking about this book of Galatians and the way that it begins. Because if you're going to get any reassurance from what the apostle would call the new normal that has happened, a normal that's not present to everyone's eyes equally, it's not always present to our eyes equally. But if you're going to get any reassurance from it, if you're going to get any endurance from it, if you're going to get any stability in your life and any, any oomph to help you keep going, then you're going to have to get yourself not a proper dog, but a proper authority, and a proper view of time, and a proper savior. That's how Ron Swanson helps us today as we come to this famous epistle in the Bible that most of you have heard thousands of sermons from and has been looked at often in the Reformed tradition. You need a proper authority, a proper view of time, and a proper Savior. One of the things that the Apostle begins with, as he does in most of his letters, is some kind of introduction. And in his introduction, he says who it's from. And then when he says who it's from, he says why he has the authority to say it. Paul, an Apostle. 
sent, not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. It's important to note at the beginning here of this book that authority, who has the clout in a person's life, is a question that the Bible deals with all the time. It's really a question that you deal with all the time, whether you recognize it in those terms or not. We're always trying to figure out who's telling me the truth. Who should I listen to about this? Which, which story should be forming my life? How can I tell if I'm heading in the right direction or the wrong direction? How can I tell if what just happened is good news or bad news? Well, a lot of it depends on what you're hoping for. Who has the most clout in your life? The apostle's clout has been diminished. His authority has been tarnished in this church that he started during his first missionary journey. He started this church, apparently, because of a sickness. He was brought to these Galatian churches. They came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They had, apparently, a tremendous amount of joy regarding this because later in the book, Paul will say, What has happened? You guys were giddy! Like you'd been at a kid's birthday party, hopped up on sugar. And now not so much. What happened? Well, what happened was some folks had come in. He says some some folks who were trying to cause turbulence for them. Who were trying to pervert what he taught. And they were saying, you know, Paul had some right things to say about this Jesus, but he didn't have all the things to say. You need to listen to us. There are things about the Christian life that you need to adopt that, are, that, that Paul didn't mention. He wasn't right all the way about this. And so the apostle really does make a pretty strong delineation of the fact that you need to listen to me. Now, we're people who are about as allergic to pronouncements of authority as we are to lying down in a bed of wasps. We do not like the sting of anyone telling us what to do. I don't. I don't think you do. But the apostle makes a big deal out of it in this book especially, but he does it over and over again because that's always on the line. And when you think about it, if you will pause and you think, what's determining the direction of my life? All of you have somebody, have some voice that has some clout in your life, and it's determining a whole lot. It determines what you second guess. It determines what you hope for. It determines how you console yourself. And so it's pretty important. That's why you need to get yourself a proper authority. And the apostle says, I want you to understand something. First of all, I didn't read about this Jesus character on Slate.com or on Huffington Post. I didn't see some cool viral YouTube video about this. I met him. I was spiritually concussed by this Jesus. I had no intention of following him, no intention of giving him the time of day. In fact, I thought the crazy wackadoos who were following a supposed dead man from the grave were perversions of the true faith and so thought that to serve God, I needed to eradicate them. I was an extremist. Until something happened to me personally. Until Jesus himself met me face to face, nose to nose, 
and said, why are you doing this? And nothing has been the same for me since. And so the apostle wants to go back over and over again to saying, look, I didn't make this stuff up. No one taught it to me. I got this directly from the mouth of the resurrected Christ or the Messiah. I had always thought Messiah was going to come at the end of the age, and he's come, and I recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. He keeps going, I'm astonished when he's talking about his authority, that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is apparently no gospel at all. Gospel means good news. It's this announcement that God reigns, that he's taking back his creation, that he's invaded the world, and that if you're on the side of the Messiah, you get to be part of the age to come. And if you're not on the side of the Messiah... Well, that's why it's so important. He says, which is evidently no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert this good news about the Messiah, Jesus. Christ means Messiah. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. (laughs) One of our allergies, I think, is in taking anything too seriously. We like, to, we like to laugh. We like to laugh here at Rock Creek. You've got a hilarious pastor. I mean, a hilarious-looking pastor, I mean, sorry. Pastors. Hilarious-looking, hilarious. Well, we like to laugh because we believe that the grace of God sets us free from so many things, but one of the postures that you can adopt is this sense that everything is therefore laughable and everything that's laughable is therefore dismissible. So anything you mock, any kind of religious zeal that you mock, you can instantly discard. And so then suddenly you get somebody like the Apostle Paul saying something as stark as if anybody preaches anything different, Then what I preached, the announcement that God reigns and his reign is being accomplished through Jesus Christ. And everybody on his side gets into the coming new world and everybody not gets destroyed. Anybody who preaches anything different than that should go to H-E double toothpicks. And if you heard him say that on TV, you turn the channel. Chillax, Paul, take your meds. Eternal condemnation? Come on. This isn't a game for him. He's interested in the restoration of joy. He's interested in the reclaiming of emancipation for people who are constantly getting themselves under the wrong kinds of authority that mislead them and misguide them and strangle them and hurt them. You're led by all kinds of voices that do you harm that make you feel insecure, that make you look at yourself, that make you scared. And God, through this apostle that he has sent, is saying to you, I want to tell you about a way not to be condemned. I want to tell you about a way to be rescued. I want to tell you about a way that restores joy to your life. I want to tell you about a way that you don't have to think about yourself all the time. You can be liberated from the gloomy little dungeon of yourself. I want to tell you about a way to be free. And it's important because life and death hangs on it. My authority is that important. And I'm that confident of it that I'm going to appeal to it. You better listen to me. 
You've heard me say before in this great essay that Walker Percy says is his favorite essay by Soren Kierkegaard, or Soren Kierkegaard, if you're a Dutch person, or an academic who likes to speak Dutch like you know it. Just kidding. Ooh, snark coming out today. I must be in a bad mood. Not very in tune with myself. Okay, so Walker Percy has, he says there's this article that Kierkegaard has written called The Difference Between a Genius and an Apostle. He says a genius is somebody, it's a really smart person who can discover something at any time. They can discover a mathematical truth, an economic truth, a political truth, a philosophical truth. They can uncover it. They can unearth it. They can put it down and they can stumble upon it. That's a genius. They they find out things that nobody else can find out. An apostle is very different than that. An apostle has had a piece of news delivered to him and has been given the authority to share it. So that when he shares it, he can say to the person who asks, what gives you the authority to tell me this? He can say, I have the authority. I was given it, and if you don't believe this, it's on your head. Now, you may not like that, but this is the food that the universe grows, as C.S. Lewis would say. And the Apostle Paul thinks of it that way. Jesus picked me, and he's got no pride about that. He recognized, I don't have any idea why he would have picked me. I was an awful person. Oh, he picked me so that I could be a herald of his unlimited patience. That's why. And I get to go around and tell people, do you want unlimited patience from God? Do you want to have yourself scrubbed clean from the deep stains that the world and yourself have brought on yourself? I know a launderer. I know a way out. I know a way that you're supposed to live because God has visited me. And if you don't listen to it, it's on your own head. It's a little stark because a lot's at stake. It's a little stark because a lot's at stake. You need a proper authority in your life. I had an altercation, a verbal altercation the other day with a teenage boy. We were learning to drive. My wife might say that both me and my son need to learn to drive. I'm presumably in this instance the teacher and the son is the... And he's doing a great job. He really is. Every now and again... I love you, boy. But every now and again we have a situation. And sometimes it might just be me. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to admit that. But here's how a conversation went the other day when I got a little frustrated... He didn't understand the frustration. And I, of course, never have overreacted about anything in my life, ever. So it had to be the proper response for me. But I said to him, buddy, the reason I'm being so fierce about this is because, and I was, I was a little bit high-strung. It had been a very busy day. I was already feeling pressure. I think I was doing something on my phone, which probably made my reaction extra worse. And I said, trying to find the word, right word, in driving, there are no, there are no mullets. Mullets. Business in the front, party in the back. And he laughed because he realized that I said the wrong word. I didn't mean to say mullets. I meant to say mulligans. But mullets is what came out. 
And praise be to God, he has such an endearing authority, he teaches him such wise things. In life, son, there are no mullets. He knows good and well there are mullets, you've seen them on TV. You might have seen them in your life, you might have even had one. But what I meant was there are no mulligans, like if we mess up, we die. We can't hit reset. When we mess up, somebody else dies. So sometimes I'm going to be a little fiercer than I might otherwise be. And I think that's part of the way to understand what the Apostle Paul is up to in some of these authoritative pronouncements. Let them be eternally condemned if they don't believe this stuff. Even if an angel says it, let them be eternally condemned because he thinks so much is at stake. It's so incredibly important. He knows the gravity that's been laid on him. He knows the great intentions that God has, but also how dreadful the the day of the Lord will be for those who don't have the covering of the one who has already been blasted by the wrath of God for them. And so there's a lot on the line. And so he needs to share it. And he recognizes that he's an ascent person. And that's worth thinking about ourselves when we're trying to reassure ourselves with the scriptures. Listen to the apostle saying, I'm a sent person. That has implications. I've been sent not from men, not by man, not by a committee. I was sent from Jesus and God his Father who raised Jesus. I was listening to a pastor the other day who was talking about this man that he knew. And I I had heard about this man who was a very wealthy man, a very dignified man. And he got involved in some sideways business dealings. He wound up getting arrested and I think some felonies charged against him. He went to prison. And this pastor said, this man I had never really liked. (laughs) Pretty arrogant, really. Very abrasive person. But when he was in prison, this guy who had never really gone to church in any place or anything like that, I felt compelled to go and visit him. And after the second or so time of visiting him, this man had his dander up and he said, why are you here? What are your intentions here? And my pastor friend said, well, I want to tell you I've been sent by someone. Someone has told me to come and visit you, but you don't know who they are. See, my friend had this strong sense of being sent by Jesus to this man he didn't like so much in jail because he had something to offer him. And the man began to be touched by that. altered him in ways it it warmed him in ways and i think you need to see when you listen to the scriptures to think god has sent this message to you because he wants you to have a means of escape from the tyranny of yourself don't think of the bible as a burden think of the bible as a way out And if it's not a way out, then you're not reading it right. And if the people who are preaching it to you or the community that you're in is trying to believe it, if it's not a way out, if it's not a way of good news, if it doesn't bring good news, then it's not being processed right. You need a proper authority. And when you have a proper authority, you can properly believe it. You also need a proper view of time. Paul says, grace and peace to you, a lovely and frequent address that he has. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
You need a proper view of time. You know, when the Apostle says that he rescues us from this present evil age, the Apostle's not merely sort of hand-wringing and sitting around in the barbershop talking about how bad things have gotten. You know? He's not... He's not just a, a Fox News reporter or a Fox News talk show or the other side, whatever, and just talking about how awful everything is. That's not what he means when he says the present evil age. He is talking about a view of time that every Jew would have had in his day. This view of time that says there are two ages in human history, really. There's this present age and there's the age to come. There's the present age that's marked by the cataclysmic, disastrous, ruinous thing called death and sin that makes people allergic to God, that makes people awful to each other, that makes people a rule unto their own selves. Death reigns in this period. But they always look forward to a time when God was going to make a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation. They always look forward to the age to come, The day of the Lord when the enemies of God would be judged and God's people would be vindicated and rescued and they would live very happily in a bouncy castle. No. That is a dumb hope. But if you're a kid, that might be a fun hope. I'm just making sure you're paying attention because some of you are drifting off. But we'll live together in a new world and the world that is to come that's been recreated and where sorrows do not exist and they are not allowed. That was the idea. It was a linear thing. This age, this present evil age, and then at some point, boom, the age to come starts off. Forever and ever. What was surprising, and you've heard us say this, we're going to keep saying it until you get it in your head, what was surprising to Paul and was surprising to all the apostles, nobody had a vision of this, was that this age to come was going to start 2,000 years ago in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The age to come was supposed to start with the resurrection, and it did. Jesus was resurrected 2,000 years ago. And when that happened, they realized, oh my goodness! The age to come has broken into this present evil age. So here's this present evil age, and the age to come. So now they're overlapping. They're going on at the same time. And the people who who surrender themselves to Jesus and get his spirit in them, the chaos hovering spirit, the spirit that covers over the chaos, chaos comes as a personal Pentecost into our lives and starts to reframe us and reconstitute us. We are the people of the new creation. We start to give the world a taste, this pilot project of God, this theater of his church that shows the world the kind of world that's coming in approximate terms. This is what it's like when, when people aren't ruled by themselves but by a, a benevolent master. They're generous. They share. They bear burdens. They let people off the hook. They're not severe with one another. They take in orphans. They give to the poor. They do their work with integrity. They work as unto the Lord. They make good things, not cheap things that break. This is what we are, the people of the new creation. And the apostle wants the people to know that times have changed. That we're in the last days. We have been for 2,000 years. It's not a new situation now for us. But you can easily live as if it's not true. You can easily live as if the king has not already come and started his reign. You can easily live as if his 
saving work has not been accomplished. And so he's trying to wake you up to this. The argument goes something like this in the book of Galatians. These, these people who have become Christians, they were so excited. They were so, they were so liberated to know that now they could be known by God and they could know God. And it was such a thrilling thing. And then suddenly, suddenly they had to deal with the problem that you and I have to deal with. Themselves. Like, what do you do after you've become a Christian and you've got all this excitement and then it turns out that you're still pretty awful? What do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your lusts? What do you do with those things that if anybody saw what you were doing behind closed doors, you would blush in everlasting shame? What do you do with that anger that just leaps up out of you? How do you handle the guilt? They had to deal with themselves. And one of the proposals for them was, well, here's what you need to do. You need to adopt the Mosaic law. You need to get circumcised. You need to subdue the flesh. Be glad that no one's telling you to do that. But the apostle wants to tell them, no, 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 the times have changed. Jesus made a pronounced mark of difference in the world, which says from this point forward, if you want to have a way to deal with the sins that keep going, you don't look at yourself, you look at Him. Because He has received the curses for you. And so any way that has you going back to do something about your own sins, that has you going back to do something to subdue your own flesh, all those ways are a way of going back. Going back pre-Christ, pre-cross. And He says, don't do that. It's like this... This elderly lady that I used to meet with regularly and she would go and it was time to pay her bills and she would have to be driven all around town. She would go to each place to pay her bills. I was like, why are you doing this? There's an easier way. It's been simplified. You can write a check even if you don't want to use the interwebs. She drove to each place. She was living before the time that is now. You need to get yourself a proper authority and you need to have a proper view of time that Christ has invaded the life of the world to come, has started now. And we can either lean into it or we can run away from it. Leaning in means freedom. Running back is going back into a prison. And lastly this, you need a proper Savior. Not a proper dog, but a proper Savior. For the Apostle, this Savior is the one who has rescued us from this principle called sin. This fundamental anti-God state of mind. We have a dog, a real dog, an over 50 pound dog, a dog that's better than your dog. She's a mutt, but we like her. And I noticed this very regularly. And I noticed it just again this morning, but she sleeps on our screen porch. She has free reign of the yard. She's not allowed in the house because she's an animal. But she sleeps on the screen porch, and she can come and go as she pleases. And there's French doors between our living room and the screen porch. 
And this dog, Lady, who used to live here, she was called Church Lady, we've abbreviated it now. She will just sit there in the mornings and watch me. Without movement. I don't even know if she blinks. She just stares me down. If I move, she'll just watch. You know why? Because I haven't fed her yet. She doesn't scratch on the door. She doesn't bark. She doesn't make any noise. She just looks at me. She just looks at me. I feel her gaze. I've even noticed that after I fed her, if she hasn't noticed me going out the front door where I feed her, I will just pretend, go, I'll go out the front door and pretend to feed her, and then suddenly she's gone. Because she knows once I go out that front door, that means there's food. And she knows I'm going to give it to her. We're going to give it to her, but I give it to her most because she looks at me and she goes, that dude must love food. And I said, that hurts my feelings, lady, but, but you're probably right. But I think one of the things the apostle would say to you this morning, this, who wants to say with proper authority, you can take this into your life and realize that this proper view of time that you're in, that something has happened. And so now you have a proper savior presented to you. And it's not any of the things that you would customarily think. It really is this Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that's so amazingly instructive to me about this dog is she just looks at me until I show her mercy. And so you can tell who your Savior is by where you're looking the most. You can tell who your Savior is by what you stare at the most. Who are you hoping, what are you hoping, is going to somehow fix you, somehow mend you, somehow restore you, somehow refresh you? Praise be to God, this this mutt that we love in our house has shown me just, she just looks at me. She just looks, she just looks, she just stares like a mistress looks to the hand of a maiden, like a slave looks to the hand of his master. So we look, O Lord, to you till you show us your mercy. And see, the apostle would say, here's what happens to all kind of people who don't believe and don't realize, for Christian people who don't realize that we're in this new creation, you start to screw up. You fail God. You want to please Him. Some of you want to please God so badly and then you can't carry it out anyway. You keep letting yourself down. You're sure you're letting God down. And one of the things you instinctively do is you say, how how can I do better? How can I clean this up? And you start looking at yourself. How can I prove to myself that I'm really really His? And Paul says, uh, prison occupants say What? You're going to really look down inside yourself, into the labyrinth of yourself for liberation? You're going to go into a maze to look for liberation. Huh? uh You've forgotten your proper Savior. You're looking to a cat. You're looking to an improper Savior. You're looking to yourself, and you are not an adequate Savior. You can't do enough good. You can't bring about new creation. You can't absolve yourself of your sins. It's already been done. You can look to the one who did it and forget about yourself and know the joy of that self-forgetfulness. Paul wants people to know that. New creation people 
start to look to Christ, and as they do, they forget about themselves. And as they do, they're filled with the Spirit. The life of Jesus starts to pulsate out of them. They learn how to live in love, and so they're not eaten up with their sins. And when they are, they hand them off. And they don't say, I've got to fix this. They say, look to Him who has rescued me. The God who rescued the Israelites groaning under slavery. The God who rescues the Israelites crying out against the Philistines. The God who rescued Daniel from the den of lions and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. This God rescues. You can't rescue yourself. The one you look at is the one you're looking for to be a savior. And the apostle would say, I've got the authority to tell you that the proper time is now. New creation has begun, and there is one proper Savior for all kinds of men and women and children, no matter what, how much money you make, no matter how much education you have, no matter what you've done or failed to do. And His name is Jesus Christ. He gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. In our small group the other day, this is the last thing, one woman said this, as we're reading through the Bible, y'all reading through Leviticus, Numbers, you should be, right? You're reading through, she said, I tell you what, if I hear about one more animal being slaughtered, I think I'm going to have a stroke. I said, that sounds about right. And the apostle was saying, you know what? Do you see Galatians? Do you see Rock Creek people? Do you see what's happened in the universe? That God has already started the new world where this system that got taught for ages and ages that said, whenever you lie, whenever you're stingy, whenever you're mean, whenever you're gossipy, whenever you're sexually impure, whenever you don't think of God, whenever you serve yourself instead of another, that's called sin. And if you make a lifetime of serving sin, your payment, your retirement system for that is death. That's the pension for sin service. But what's embedded in these people is that when there is sin, there must be death. Something must die instead of you. Something must die instead of you. Something must die instead of you. That's a provision God makes. And Paul wants to say, look, it happened. The God-man died instead of you and now offers new life and part of the new creation for those who will take it, for those who will look to him and say, I'm looking to you to show me mercy. I guarantee it'll categorically change your daily life. To say, I've got a proper Savior, and I've got proper authority to believe He's my Savior. And I live in this new creation, this new time. I'm going to look to Him, not to myself, not to my spouse, not to my job, not to my food, not to anything. I'm going to look to Him to clean me, to refresh in me, to change me, to reassure me, and to gladden me. Will you let him gladden you? Look to him. Don't look to yourselves. Amen.